welcome to a competitive couple, uh, the podcast of the website about the world of board gaming for two. Whether your regular gaming partner is a boyfriend or girlfriend, husband or wife, mum or dad, or simply a friend or next door neighbour, we'll try and cover great games for you to play on your tabletop as a twosome. I'm Charlotte Collins, and with me is Jamie Chad. Good evening. Good, Good evening. evening. I'd ask how you are, but it would uh, make me look quite bad since we live together. Yeah, I'd like to think you know how. Huh? I should really keep tabs on that. Yeah. Are you well? You've got a cider in your hand. I do. Uh, I am very, I'm very uh, yeah. comfortable right yeah, now. It's a lovely Sunday Cider evening. on a Sunday yeah. night. It's probably not the best idea, but what are you going to do? It's very nice, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So this is a podcast all about board gaming for two. The yes. podcast of the website, because as you said, there's a website called a competitive couple. Yes. Dot com. Dot com. Dot com. Dot com. Yes, yeah, we, we push the boat out on that one. Currently, one review on there, but many more to come. <laughs> yeah. Yep, It'll brand be... new website. Mm, populated in the weeks ahead. Very excited. Yes. There should be lots of features and news and all sorts of bits and reviews. bobs. Yeah, re reviews, previews, previews. Re reviews on... <laughs> after expansions come out. V reviews when board games become digital and we do a video board game review. Who knows? Who knows? I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> but at the moment, yes, there is the one review on there. One review. If you fancy, go check it out. Uh, boost Jamie's ego. Yes. <laughs> one review. One, one view. On in the bag. Review. In the bag. I'll take that. So as it's our first podcast, we thought we'd introduce ourselves a little bit mm-hmm. and, you know, make sure you know us so that in the future we can know you, our listeners. That made sense in my head. Um, so we had, a, we had a few questions to just introduce yes. ourselves and our, our ways into board game life. So uh, the first one we've got here is, how did you slash me slash we get into playing board games? That is a good question. I'm trying to think back to the first serious kind of board game that we played together. And I think, am I correct in saying it was Marvel Legendary? Yes, it was. Yeah. It was indeed. Which I bought when you disappeared to America for six weeks and I was left alone. <laughs> and I wanted to, I saw it and I was like, oh, I can play this by myself. And then you came back and I was like, oh, I can play this with you. Yeah, but you were a bit nervous though, weren't you? Because you didn't, you thought, thought, well, you thought it was a bit too geeky. It was too nerdy and that after like three years together, you might go, oh, that's it. Not in any of it. What's this? A deck building game. That's... Any decks I build in the garden. <laughs> It's just, but, but that no, but that's so daft because I'm literally the nerdiest in the world. So, yes. and I love it as well. I really, really love. If it. anything, Legendary is just too mainstream now, which never. Ah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I think it also it led fairly quickly into Pandemic Legacy season one for us, didn't it? I don't think it was it all that long afterwards that we no. got that, and I think that one was our first proper. Yeah. Well, especially because we we decided to play it month on month, didn't we? we did. Sort of real time. Real, real time. And I think that really kind of opened our eyes up to th- to board gaming. And what board games can do, yeah. Because yeah. it's not really, I want to think of it as like a board game. And um, we have a hard time t- telling people about it who don't play games because it's so different to actually a board game. But um, it was amazing. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Like, I so love that experience. It was oh. so much fun. It's also worth pointing out as well, it was around your birthday last year in September, I think, was the kind of main time that we really, really really started getting into we did board gaming because yeah. on your birthday um took you for your birthday to coffee and dice which was like a little local board gaming cafe near us mm-hmm. that i'd seen and thought oh that could be quite up jamie street yeah. so we went along to that and i think then we sort of discovered oh here's a place that we can go to however frequently we like what to go we play, play? i games. remember we played three games i think mm-hmm. we played 
Galaxy Trucker. Yes. Which is just a fantastic game. Mm-hmm. We played... We played Last Night on Earth. Last Night which... on Earth. <laughs> that was so funny, that game. Because, yeah, Jamie did a terrible job at being the heroes of the game. I was playing the zombies, yep. which I think I did rather well. You know, I was pushing him hard and it, it was quite... Um... <laughs> As the heroes, you, you sort of didn't really have any tactics, did you? No, well, it was it was our first play, and my thought was I should probably go out and kill these zombies, and I forgot to really go and get weapons and useful items as such. Yeah, so you just sort of ran outside directly into the path of zombies and yeah. sort of went, ah, zombies, and, and then ran back inside. And then you thought, hey, let, this is a good time to sort of sit down in my little hut or wherever your characters were, and look for things, even though like the zombies were literally like right outside. I do remember, I just felt so smug, because I had like the farmer's girl, and she got like a one extra dice for defending or attacking whenever she was in the cornfield. So I was just like, new to board game and go, oh, here's a really good tactic, let's put the farmer's girl in the cornfield, and I'll probably win the game, just because I'm doing that really mm. simple bit of, you know, strategizing. Turns out that was rubbish, because that was good for about one or two, but then obviously the luck goes against you, and she got zombified. What was the third? Was I there a third don't know game? if there was a third was it game. Just two? It may have just been two. I think we went. Um... Oh no, we didn't. We played Forbidden Island. Oh yeah, that was the did. third game. The pandemic. Oh, that was really good. I'd love to yeah. play that again because I kind of can't remember it all that clearly. I I think I kind of felt like it was really easy. We did well. Yeah, that was. I don't know. <laughs> we were playing on the easiest level, oh, and we did beat it mm. pretty well. Um, I think, but then there's difficulty levels to that game, so we could revisit again. And there's Forbidden mm-hmm. Desert, and there's a new one called For. Forbidden Storm? Or is that just the trailer? I can't remember what it is. Or Forbidden... No, Forbidden Sky. Forbidden Sky, where it looks like it's just stormy weather and it looks like you're in a helicopter and there's lightning and thunder and stuff. Um, but there, that's that's probably where we started. For me, I think I've always been interested in like the mechanics of games from way back when. I used to play a lot of like, sports sims. Then I used to like nerd up on Excel and see how you can best you know make all these numbers actually tell a story yeah and then it's just grown from there I'm trying to think for me like I think yeah there's always been an interest in gaming for me like very early sort of more video games obviously with Pokemon I guess Pokemon red and blue and then gold and silver on my little Game Boy Color and then soon after that um Pokemon Stadium on the Nintendo 64 which I kept for a rather long time didn't I I was really quite unwilling to part with that I'm trying to think sort of my earliest sort of gaming what, what memories, about the trading, gaming memories. What about with... the trading card game, Pokemon? I was never that into that, to be honest. No. Um, I managed to get some quite good cards, but then I, I don't know, I'm a bit of a people pleaser, so I think I just traded away all my good ones to oh. kind of impress the boys. <laughs> As you do, I don't know. Or either I just felt a bit intimidated, I don't know. <laughs> so no, that didn't really play out very well for me, I don't think. I, don't I once know. spent £7 on a shiny dark Charizard oh at the local market <laughs> in Blanford Forum. Cool. Was, and then I sold the lot about 10 years ago for £25. That's quite good. Too fat. I, I sold, yeah, no, <laughs> that's, not, that's not a profit. <laughs> I'm trying to think, uh, yeah, my earliest sort of board gaming memories though are definitely of... Um, <laughs> Harry Potter, uh, Mystery at Hogwarts, which is sort of like a yep. Cluedo game set at Hogwarts, yep. except there's a ghost kind of chasing you around. It, it's not the it's not the deepest of games, <laughs> unfortunately. The sort of game it is meant you needed like more than three players at least yep. to kind of guess who the mur- not who the murderer was. There's no murderers at Hogwarts, no. and I'd often struggle to get that many players <laughs> interested in playing. <laughs> which is 
very sad. I'd, I've seen the game. I've seen the score pad. You played a lot of games. We did, that. though. That game got a lot of I views, I took it around right? my neighbours a lot. Yeah, it was, yeah. A, it was a hit. I wasn't just left on the cupboard because there was no one else. No, that I did occasionally persuade my family to play with yeah. me. So uh, the next question, I guess, is what is your slash our favourite game? Um, Do we have well, a favourite game? Can we ever have just one game? Do you have a revolving list? Is there always something? I Yeah, I was going to say, it's very hard to just sort of pick one, but... I think my favourite, I mean, and, and I suppose it is more of a gaming experience than a game, and that's Pandemic Legacy Season 1. I just loved playing that last year. I yes. mean, now, obviously, we've done it. We can't play it again. But for me, looking back, that was my kind of favourite game, just in all the kind of twists and turns that it kind of throws at you. But I'm a big, huge fan of Great Western Trail at the moment. Yes, that was pretty much what I was going to say. We bought yeah. Great Western Trail literally three weeks ago, four mm-hmm. weeks ago, maybe, and played about four games of it, oh, all yeah. two-player games. It's fantastic. Yeah. We will get a little bit more into that later, won't we? We We'll be talking a bit more about that later on. (laughs) Another little question for you, Jamie. Um, Who, out of the two of us, would you say is the most competitive? Seeing as that is the name of the the game. Um, Uh, Well, I would actually say that you're the most competitive, mainly because you seem to win the most. Yes, absolutely. I think that's got got to be the underlying reason. (laughs) I thought you'd stand your corner a little bit more because you can be quite. No, I can be, I can be, but, but I, no. yeah. I do you think my win streak is kind of dominating think, over you at the yeah, moment? I'm I a little think, worried for I you. Think clearly, team. there's a competitive edge you must have. Mm, maybe I'm just smarter. Maybe, maybe that's the case. I, don't, <laughs> I maybe don't think so. We have to crack out some trivia games to prove that. I don't know. Oh, a trivia, a true <laughs> test of smartness. Test of knowledge, but is it a test of smartness? <laughs> you must be like you, you. You you do get a good competitive streak going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed about it now. I think it's healthy though. I think it's healthy. It is. It's very good to be a little bit yeah. competitive. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Yeah, anyway, cool. So I think something we um, wanted to talk about in this little first podcast of ours was kind of looking back over the the Christmas period, wasn't it? At the games we play, because Christmas is quite, I mean, for a lot of people, a big time for playing games, kind of with yeah. families and friends. It was our first gamey Christmas, wasn't it? We mm. we went to the places we went to and we carried bags of games and we bought new games and then afterwards we bought more games with all the Christmas money and things we had. Um, it was definitely our first sort of pack your bags and bring yeah. games. Yeah, we, and we bought games. a lot of games. We did bring, we bought a lot of games, we played a lot of games, people came to us to play a lot of games. It was fun. Yeah, yeah, because... I mean, I had a little uh, gathering with friends just before Christmas, and I didn't anticipate it being a gaming night. You know, I sort of said, you know, bring food, bring drinks, and yeah, maybe bring a game if you want. <laughs> everyone, everyone bought a game, and it just made me so happy. Like we that had great, such a diverse it? mix of games, and we had such a fun night. Yes. One of those games that we played was Obama Llama, which is a game designed by Matt Edmondson, 2015 game. And it's a game that's predominantly focused around matching celebrities to their rhyming activity. It's like a rhyming game, isn't it? Yeah, it's like almost like charades, but usually you get like up yeah. on back on about riding a llama, llama is the answer. Or I'm trying to think of another rhyme off the top of my head and I can't. <laughs> Jean-Luc Van Damme eating some ham. That might be another kind of example of... Uh, Jean-Luc Van Damme is someone I'd like to meet. <laughs> is that not even <laughs> that mashed up a name? Jean-Claude Van Damme is probably really angry. It's <laughs> because we just watched Star Trek. <laughs> oh, Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> but yeah, and there'll be things like you'll have to act out the celebrity doing their activity or 
describe it without using the words on the card and it all kind of culminates in kind of like a weird sort of memory game where you're kind of flipping things over which Jamie's pulling a face which he hates that bit it's just weird because you can like the two I swear two games three games I've been on the team that has got the most rhymes correct be it through describe act to read I know our scorecard so basically every three you get right you get to go at this memory game which is basically like playing pairs between like each round so I've been on the team constantly that's got the most things correct but has lost just because we have a bad memory and that just really bugs me because it's not called Obama memory it's called Obama llama and it's about getting the names and the rhymes and I, just, I don't know why it exists it's, I get that the pairs they have rhyming pairs just oh, no it's just I don't know why it's there yeah. they could have given us like 30 more rhyming cards I am now convinced that one of my friends has an eidetic memory because yeah. she literally remembered everything. Per- like, I've never seen anyone do no, that. That was a game. I was on the team that got, like, almost, literally, honestly, like, twice as many correct I answers. I and know, she- I know. And what is also worse is once you've got a pair, you just get to have another guess at a pair. So if you mm-hmm. get quite late in the game and someone remembers where they all are, you just rattle off, like, half the board and go, oh, we it lost. Was, it was really funny, though, because I forgot to shuffle it from my last game, so everything was next to its yeah. rhyming it pair. And no one noticed. And then I made the mistake of saying it aloud. I just going, oh yeah, I clearly didn't shuffle. They're all next to each other. And no one, oh. And I was like, should have just kept that for my team yeah, and not told the other team. <laughs> but no, it was very funny. But it's really good but fun. But in the next game, the game, yeah, I don't know how my friend managed to like literally get them all. <laughs> we just let her do that bit of it. But it seemed to be quite a hit because we played it with friends. And then we played it later on at Christmas with family. Yep. And it seemed to be a really good game for everyone although i think that some of the celebrities are kind of a bit more of a younger age range but then again it's not really all that about hip references yeah even yeah. i don't get as a exactly young, me neither. <laughs> but then it was, it's more focused on the activity half the time that the celebrity is doing isn't it yeah it's, i quite like so it you don't need to know the act out bit that's like charades actually made easier because the person who's got to guess knows the celebrity mm. so you just have to yeah. act out the, the it makes it easier to guess the rhyme isn't it because yeah. you, well you're, yeah you're guessing a rhyme so no, that proved to be quite a hit. Um, also that evening we played Banana Drama, which is um, looked up on Board Game Geeks from 1989, and they, the design is unknown. Anyway, Banana Drama is a game where the box is full of these just small papery cardboard bananas. Um, you have to draw one, and then it might just say like, "Hang it on your ear, hang it on your shoulder, pull it under your neck, pull it under your knee." And you just do it, and then you go around, and you just keep doing this. Some of the bananas are like forfeits, like hop to the door or crawl across to the other side of the room or something like that but basically you're going around and you're hanging bananas off you and the object is to get to 10 bananas yeah but we kind of just ignored that didn't we We were just sort of doing an indefinite amount of bananas it was like infinite banana drama yes which is just crazy because i mean i was holding bananas everywhere it was very funny it made for a very funny drinking game sort of thing yeah. didn't it it, 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 it was, was hilarious it, I, I don't think I'd laugh that exactly yeah well I mean yeah because my friend that bought it was like something her parents used to have so it was like it was as old as her and it, but it was a really great fun game to play wasn't it was, it? It was, I, was I, I didn't I, know what I to expect it. when she bought it and it said banana drama I was like is well, this gonna be it had me hooked on that name fruity soap opera I didn't know what it was gonna be was it gonna be a trivia quiz just purely based on bananas um who knew but um it turned out to be great didn't it it was really fun. Another game we played that night was The Resistance. It was a busy which, night, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a very topped busy night. Resistance. Yeah, topped off with The Resistance, which was a game I bought specifically for that night. Because with us being uh, 
a gaming twosome. We don't often kind of get to play the party games that I tend to hear about because I've been meaning to play Resistance and Ultimate Werewolf for absolutely ages. So I was like, do you know what? I'm going to buy the Resistance, persuade my friends into playing it. And we did. We did. And I think it went down really well. Basically, um, the Resistance is designed by um, Don Eskridge. Uh, it's a 2009 game. And in it, you're basically... Um, it's a social deduction game, isn't it? Where you're you're a resistance against an evil empire, and there, how many of us were there? There were seven of us. Seven, like nine seven, of us. Nine of us, and in the nine of us, there were three spies, and you basically have to go on a series of five missions. Um, if the spies go on the missions, they can fail them, or they can also help to succeed them, thus keeping them hidden as spies in the group. Um, the first team to get three sort of fails or successes, depending on which team you're on, wins. And so it's a game that's very much about trying to figure out who the spies are amongst you and not let them on missions. So there's systems in place, aren't there, where you can sort of approve or reject missions. And it's very much a very talky game of kind of trying to deduce who who may be the spy and who might not be. And I think it's, it's a game that leads to quite funny and often quite intense conversations between people, doesn't it? You know, debating and arguing and just questioning, questioning relationships, questioning everything they know about people. The best bit for me is the bit at the start of the game. Once you've given everyone the card, which tells them if they're going to be a agent agent or a spy, everyone gets their cards and then you all shut your eyes and then the spies open their eyes and look at each other to make sure they know who their fellow spies is. Then they shut their eyes again and then everyone opens their eyes and that just five seconds when everyone opens their eyes is just awesome because you just if if you're a spy you're just trying to how do i not look guilty and if you're not a spy you're just instantly suspicious of everyone else in the circle it's just brilliant yeah we played a couple of games of it didn't we and there was because there was a particularly funny moment i think in the last game we played where just before everyone opened their eyes again um one of my friends chuckled and then obviously when we opened our eyes everyone was like well you must have been the spy you know you must have made eye contact with someone and laughed why else would you have laughed and you know he was very much trying to persuade us all that it was just purely from the awkwardness of the silence and And as it it turned out that was all it was but it really really gave us the edge of thinking he he was guilty as hell because of that chuckle at the right at the beginning of the game really just sort of determined which as a spy in that last game was great because great you, i just yeah. made him look guilty for like the whole game oh exactly <laughs> i had a bit of a time of it though didn't i because we played four games i was a spy three times in a row yep. and i'm not a good spy because especially considering the amount of alcohol i'd drunk by that point i struggle to remember who my fellow spies were half the time always bad. and then sort of I buckled quite easily under pressure. You know, if people accuse me of being a spy, my I don't. I'm not very good at coming up with a response. Of you know, so I'm just like ah. I, I, I think in even in one of them, I didn't really deny it. I was just like, yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah, because well, because in one of them, I got caught up quite early, and I was just like, basically just kept talking. Yeah. Because like, it helps to distract and flummox everyone else and just continue saying stuff, even if they know but they should ignore me. For me, that's a giveaway that you're a spy. You get a lot more talky. Oh, yeah. But I think you could probably also tell for me due to the fact that I was just terrible. At, like... Well, your friend who does acting just, I think, won all her games. Oh, she was, she was incredible. She was a spy because she was just literally phenomenal. She, she hoodwinked me in the last game. I was convinced yeah. she wasn't a spy. Yeah. She just won me over because she was, like, including me in her kind of decisions. You know, she was genuinely being like, oh, who should I pick, you know, to take on this mission? And I was like, oh, yes, I'll help you. And she was a spy. 
But for the last game, it was my first game of not being a spy. I think it probably gave me a very sort of warped feeling of uh, what it's like to be kind of on the Alliance because everyone just trusted me because they were like, odds are you can't be a spy fourth time in a row. So (laughs) I had a really good argument for not being a spy and pretty much everyone just trusted me. So that was quite funny as well. No, I think it went down really well. I think it's it's quite an intense game. I think everyone comes away a bit exhausted. At the it end. is four times. Might have been one time too many, especially at like midnight. Yeah, yeah. By that time, it was midnight. It was getting a bit late, and we were. Well, it was fun. There's a niche market. Social deduction yeah. means for two people because they don't exist. So oh, exactly. Really good exactly. Fun. <laughs> no, that was good, and I can't wait to have some people over again to play that one again. Cause yeah. yeah, we can't play it just the two of us. <laughs> it's very sad. Uh, another game we uh, played over Christmas, and this was a very much a great game to bring various people of different ages together which was Get Bit designed by Dave Chalker Get Bit is basically you have a swimming robot and you're trying to escape the jaws of a shark Um, and you do so by playing one number card numbered one to seven highest number swims furthest away unless you tie with someone else in which case your swimming robot stays still and probably gets bit I really love it Mm -hmm. yeah I have a joke for you. You have a joke for me? Yeah. Okay. Do you think the shark in that game likes rock music? Because he clearly likes heavy metal. Oh, wow. Because of the robot. That's hilarious. That's good. I, yeah. I'm a fan. Hooray! Yeah, joke. I made a joke. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I do really like that game because we played it on uh, Boxing Day at your family, didn't yeah, we? we did. Um, and it went down really well because your nan played and she seemed to really get on board with that, didn't yeah, she? Yeah, me, yeah, we got an really 85 year old nan playing Get Bit and she wasn't yeah. bad actually. I don't think she, she knew was really what was really good. going on with the ties. No. But she, she, she survived. She yeah, did well. she didn't do too badly, did she? <laughs> and it's <laughs> fun, the ligament are cute. When you get bit, you have to take a mm. leg or an arm or a torso or a hip or a head off of it. There's extended version when you take them into smaller parts. It's great. Yeah, it's a really nice, small, light little game that you can play. Two to six players. It's good fun. You can play it two player and you have two robots each and it's whoever loses a robot first in the game. So then you have a team game where you've got like control of two robots and you have to kind of maybe trip up your opponent with one and have your other one sprint miles ahead. Oh, it's good fun. It's good, good fun. Another game I bought just before Christmas along with The Resistance was Mysterium because I'd heard so much about it. But yeah, where the concept of that is... It's a cooperative game where one player is playing as a ghost who's been murdered and is trying, is very got unresolved issues about it, obviously. And the other players are playing as psychics that are trying to determine where, the how, and the. With what? With what, yeah, um, of the murder so that ghosts can kind of, you know, get on with their undead life. Not undead life because they're not undead. What's, something, what's a ghost? Dead. Afterlife. Afterlife. That's the word I was looking for. The problem being that the ghost is mute and cannot communicate with the psychic. So he communicates in the form of visions to the psychics, which are these amazingly beautiful cards, aren't they? The dream the dream cards, oh, the dream crazy, deck. Gothic, brilliant. Where they're art. really yeah, really intricate, detailed, beautiful artwork on these cards that can kind of convey like so many different meanings. Almost very similar to the Dixit cards, aren't yes. they? In Dixit. It's very much like a cross between Dixit and Cluedo. Yes. And so the ghost gives cards to the psychic players who have got to then determine which suspect and which location, which object that it was involved in their murder, wasn't it? And you've got to, got to hint through those cards. We've played it as a two-player game, didn't we? We did, yeah. Briefly, because you can play it as a two-player. It's not as good. It's playable as a two-player game. 
Because if one of you's playing as a ghost, and the other person's playing as kind of the psychic. As a psychic, you just have to talk to yourself. Otherwise, it's just two players sat in yeah, silence. Yeah, because the ghost can never talk. So if you're playing a two-player game, the psychic just has to keep talking aloud just for there to be anything going on. Otherwise, yeah. it's just. But obviously, if the, when the psychics are talking, and in a, in a game of more than two people are talking it between themselves, the ghost can never hear these things and trying to get a track on how each other person's thinking they've been drawn to colours have they got this one thing in mind how can you steer them to the right card yeah using other it's, it's fascinating really because it really makes you think oh how does that person's brain work if you know them really well you might know that they're quite like a literal thinker but it always unravels in a way that you don't expect like I'd look at a card and think one thing and you'd look at a card and think something completely different you'd be like oh yeah the colours in that mean this and I'll be like that's not the thing at all. And like, unfortunately, as the ghost, sometimes you kind of forget what the other cards are on the table. And it's only when oh, you kind yeah. of put one of these dream cards down that you're like, oh no, there's like a pair of scissors in there. And that kind of points to this sort of metal object in this. And just people go completely down the wrong track. And that's the beauty of when there's more players is someone will be on the right track. And it's so frustrating as the ghost when suddenly someone else is like, oh no, but I think it's this because this means this. And then they'll be like, oh yeah, no, I'll, I'll go for that. I'll, I'll choose that. And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> behind you're your there. screen, you're, you're just, just like, like oh Yeah, behind, thankfully there's a screen in front of you because you just want to sometimes just uh, like cringing so hard yeah. that you can't like let that show so you just sort of duck down behind the screen and go like oh why did you just do that um great western trail then yes. was a game we bought just after christmas um and it just oh it's just so good um alexander vista i think it's his first game even actually from 2016 um an expansion has just been announced which should be coming this year as well which i we will definitely pick it up um so great western trail is just the journey of your cattleman going across the Great West, visiting buildings, avoiding hazards, doing stuff so that when you get to Kansas City Station, you've got the best cattle to sell to cities and the better your cattle, which is just a small deck building sort of mechanic, um, the more victory points you get. But you can get victory points a whole various other ways as well. It's just so great. There's so many different things going on in that game. There's that deck building cattle bit. You're buying buildings you've got engineers to get a really fast train you're picking up hazards and upgrading stations and then hiring and recruiting employees and taking things off your own player board so that your individual actions are improved you can move quicker or you can do this better it's it's really good fun yeah i love it there's so many different strategies available to you and there's so many different combinations that i, I can't even get my head around all of them at this stage no it's it's been so good so um you can like focus on maybe you hire loads of cowboys and so hiring loads of cowboys means you're more cost efficient when you're buying new cattle and new cow cards so that your eventual hand when you deliver at the train station is even better or you could recruit engineers so that when you land on the spaces which make your train move your train moves further which means you get more opportunity to buy victory points from the railway there's so much going on there's so much going on and it's just so clever I just love it yeah We've had yeah, some really fun games with it. Um, games. It's really quick to get to grips with as soon as you start getting to know what the iconography means on all the buildings and the mm. cards. We haven't even had to refer to the instructions now for the last two games because it's very, very quick to get. There's great variety as well. You get 12 buildings, but each of them are double backed. So there's 24 different buildings in the game. All the cards are come out randomly and different. You don't usually see all the cards in a single game. There'll be a review mm. on the website really soon in the next couple of weeks. And then I'll be clearly picking up the expansion later on in the year. Oh, we can revisit it. <laughs> Absolutely. I just want another board. Like, I want more track. I want more cows. I want... 
shootouts. There could be shootouts. That'd be well fun. Mm-hmm. It's quite funny, really, though, because we're both vegans. So it's oh, just like yeah. this game about like basically taking cows to slaughter. Yeah, but. definitely. There was that one game where I was trying to do the traditional deck building mechanic of thinning out your deck of the bad cows. <laughs> Every time I got around the board, I would just take a Guernsey, which are like worth like one. They're not even worth a victory point. They're only worth like one when you deliver them. Oh. Taking them out back and shooting them and yeah. <laughs> removing them from the game because <laughs> they were just getting in my way. So at the end of the game, like, there were like six dead Guernseys, like. <laughs> On the track yeah, it was somewhere. quite funny. <laughs> yeah. Another game we got for Christmas was Statecraft, which yes. was something I sort of put on, on my Christmas list. Um, because as having been a journalism student, I'm very fascinated and interested by news and politics. And I think it's fair to say you have an interest in politics as well. So this kind of caught my eye as it's kind of about establishing your own political party, putting out policies to try and attract supporters from the supporter pool and there's there's a whole load of different possible scenarios some of them are quite simple other ones are some quite funny ones because some of them are like themed on things like brexit very contemporary scenarios aren't there that kind of mirror stuff that goes on in the real world there's a really interesting mechanic as well isn't there where you have this kind of board that's beautifully designed as well i might add everything in this game looks Visually. Really fun. And got little cubes that kind of determine your levels of your, like, anarchy. Yeah. yeah, so I could I might play like the um free university policy and so I would then notch up my cube on socialism a couple of points, but then maybe also I'd notch up anarchy and then I'd drop down like the more conservative policies, sort of that sort of thing. So you play these policies and the little cubes move up and down and with your levels in these certain ideologies you attract supporters and then usually it's the most supporters wins the game. Mm-hmm. But sometimes as you then bring out new policies or change policies, those levels will then change and it becomes easier for your opponent to, to gain those supporters instead. They can effectively poach them yeah, off of you, them, yeah. um, which I think is a pretty nifty little mechanic. I like that one a lot. Um, what we both don't like as much, do we, is there's, there's a deck of events but within that you also have emergencies, don't you? And I, I think it's fair to say we do not really like the emergencies because it almost then gives it a very flux like edge which is another game we have five five flux which is very um dependent like uh, rules change at like a moment's notice and it leaves you very frustrated and it's very something similar here of oh oh suddenly so and so's got this oh and and then they've won the game and that's it and then the game's over in one of our games it was a bit right i think we were quite into it it was like first to six or something like that we've only played a handful of games and i think i had four and you had five maybe we pulled it like an emergency which was like global pandemic and what that meant was we picked up all the supporters we'd already recruited plus the ones already still available shuffled them and then dealt two back each to us and then they just went back into the supporters pool Mm -hmm. so we'd both gone back two steps or something yeah and then about a turn later you had an action card that said take two supporters from the supporters pool which you did which meant you won because (laughs) yeah exactly and i think it does give you the option in fairness this game it does give you the option to kind of you can completely eradicate the or cut down the amount of emergencies if you want. Some people choose to play without like the emergencies or events at all, and it might be something that we think about for a yeah. future game. Because as it stands, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about it, but I think it might take a couple more games to sort of play and get a feel of it. Because like you say, we've only played a couple. Because actually, it's it's very unusual. For me. I, I wasn't expecting it to be quite such a mathematically minded game because there is a bit of balance in yeah, there is, yeah. kind of economics almost, isn't there? 
to that game that my uh, it's not natural for me to kind of try and process. But I like the theming of it certainly. It's yeah, it's it fun it's to have it, hire these politicians mm-hmm. with specialities and then announce these policies and then at the end of the game sit back and see right what sort of government have I made? Where where, where do my sort of allegiances lie? Um, that's the really fun bit. And yeah, I think playing without emergencies might actually make it a better game because it's less random. But it's promising and interesting. We'll it is interesting. It I think. Goes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was Christmas, and that was mm-hmm. the games we played over Christmas. Christmas. So what we've got coming up now is us playing Eldritch Horror. Um, Eldritch Horror is a 2013 fantasy flight game based in the Lovecraftian universe. Um, it's the sort of streamlined, smaller version of Arkham Horror. We tried Arkham Horror once, mm-hmm. as optimistic as we are. Like, it was far too big for the table we were on in Coffee and Dice. Mm-hmm. We didn't read the rules very well. Charlotte was stuck in the other worlds for basically the whole game because we didn't know how that worked. I died because a wooden floorboard fell on me or something like that. I don't yeah. know. It was a bit too big for us. But Eldritch Horror we picked up. It's a bit simpler to get to. It's a shorter, more streamlined shorter. version of it, isn't it? I know we mentioned our favourite games earlier. I didn't even mention Eldritch Horror, but that probably is one of my favourite games as well. Fun. So what, you, what you're really doing is you're investigators um, trying to protect the world from the waking up of these ancient ones, these crazy monsters. Um, huge scary things um, you go visit the world you go around on trains and boats to different cities you have encounters with monsters or random encounters where you'll be tested on your five stats which are like strength intelligence law those sort of things gaining clues picking up weapons and allies trying to complete these mysteries before the world eventually gets eaten and you will either go insane or torn apart by some sort of demon how the gameplay unfolds is you kind of have an action round encounters round and then something called the mythos round which is where the crap is all thrown at you basically (laughs) yeah Yeah, so you'll have things like reckonings which activate the reckoning effect on your cards which are usually never good just more more stuff's thrown at you basically (laughs) so that's a game it can take you i mean our game that we played here was about four hours long Yes, that, that was, was the, by far the longest one we've done. Definitely the longest one. Um, you can play it from one to eight players. We play two-player game and we play two different characters each. I think a four-player game allows you for a little bit more kind of discussion of kind of strategy and kind of where I can put them. It allows for a bit more travel, I think. Yeah, you can, well, yeah, because you can travel. Well, yeah, the world's quite big, so you know it's a lot harder to push two people to do all the things you need to do because you're so often up against it because you're thinking, right, I need to solve this mystery. We also need to keep an eye on the level of monsters. There's gates open here. There's gates open here. You're just going, oh my God, but I've not got any strength. <laughs> I've not got any health. How am I, what am I going to do? Yeah. And yeah, it's a game that's usually against the odds, isn't it? It's basically, Eldritch Horror is definitely the most fun I've ever had yeah. losing. The, the stories it tells are, are great, as, as you'll discover. Yeah, absolutely. This is a little bit here of Eldritch Horror that we played. We played against the ancient one Shub Niggurath. Hoping I got that pronunciation right. Shub, if we yes. haven't, just give us an email <laughs> and, and we'll correct it for next time. We'll make an edit, it's fine. Black Goat of the Woods is his uh, little nickname. We played as four characters. Jamie controlled uh, Lola the actress and Jim the musician. Uh, meanwhile, I controlled uh, Charlie the politician and Diana the ex-cultist. So yeah, let's... See how uh, that game unfolded, shall we? Our tale begins with the first mystery, Nature of the All-Mother. 
our four bold adventurers were tasked to brave the wilderness. Any clues gained from a research encounter could be put towards the mystery. The mystery needed two clues gained in this way to be solved. The prologue to our game advanced Doom, but we each got a few extra goodies and bonuses to send us on our way, and so the game truly began, and let it not be said that spirits were uncommonly high. Okay, let's um, spend them, and yeah, go to go Roman. Rome, I guess. Cool. Roman, Roman. Roman around. Roman around. But that good feeling wasn't to last. No less than a couple of turns in, Jim the Musician found himself locked in an agreement. The sinister kind, with a capital A. Then we found ourselves presented with a terrible option. Doom advances by two unless lead investigator Charlie Kane gains a dark pact. Dark pacts, in case you aren't familiar, are, well, dark. They are condition cards that you can take on at various points in the game, and loiter ominously in the shadows until a mythos reckoning happens and you roll a die. If you roll a one, it's time to fulfil your part of the bargain. You flip the card and read the effects aloud. Now for a brief moment, it was as though I'd never played Eldritch Horror before in my life. Okay, desperate times. Doom advances by two unless the lead investigator gains a dark pact condition. I think she gained a dark pact because we don't really want to advance Doom. Dark packs are all part of the fun of the game. There you go. At least you got rid of your bane before the dark pact. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a little bit better. I love a good dark pact. <laughs> then we'd have two dark packs on the game and an agreement. That's right. <laughs> Early doors. We can it replace be, the characters. Yeah, it's fine. I'd rather have a fun game that's destined to go yes. horrendously wrong. What could possibly go wrong? Everything. Everything can and will go wrong in Eldritch Horror. Meanwhile, Lola and Jim thought they had it good. Lola had a fishing net of all things, for goodness sake, and Jim was overflowing with clues and focuses. Killing a few monsters and closing a gate to a hell dimension should have been easy, right? It's pretty good at fighting this guy. Yeah. You got one. You shouldn't say things like that when you roll dice. <laughs> so he loses um, two sanity. It's fine. And he's got four strength. And he's two. Spend my focus, not going to kill it. Spending a clue. Well, there's a chance to kill it, it yeah. and it recovers all health. Yes! yes! There we go. Now let's take a moment to talk about Charlie Kane. A smooth-talking politician with great influence skills, old Charlie is a great character for picking up some great items from the reserve and getting them out there to the other characters. What he's not all that great at is fighting. You can probably see where I'm going here. You see, Charlie struggled to fend off a goat spawn ambush and managed to lose two health. Then we had a rather unfortunate mythos card. Um, well, Charlie's dead. The investigator loses all of his health unless investigators as a group spend two clues. Yeah. Health loss can't be prevented. Oh, okay. There we go. Then. That's quite funny, though, because literally you guys had, like, we six clues and you just spent, like... <laughs> as Charlie's replacement we brought in Lily Chen, martial artist. Now Lily is a firm favourite of ours. She's almost always one of our go-to monster fighting characters in our games, but in this game, quite frankly, she was pants. To begin with, anyway, but we'll get to that in a bit. But no, she didn't get off to a great start. Lily's special ability is that when she improves a skill, she can immediately improve it again. 
except thanks to a run of really bad location encounters, Lily failed to get any improvements at all for quite a few turns. But for a while, things were going pretty well. Our four investigators were on a roll, closing gates and killing monsters. We got exceptionally lucky being close to both rumours, which were solved in record timing for us. But while we were keeping on top of the chaos across the board, we were struggling to solve the first mystery. We just couldn't get our hands on any clues from our research encounters. Eventually, things were starting to look up for Lily. She finally improved her strength, giving her a total of six, and she got the Tome Artifact the Necronomicon. Maybe Lady Luck was finally smiling upon us. Uh... Oh god, no! Uh, my agreement! Oh my god, Jamie. Dark contract. Oh. The contract didn't seem half bad when you decided to sign, but now reading the fine print, you see you're a fool to think it was a fair trade. Gain a dark pack condition. Oh. I've already got a dark pack condition. Then roll one die. On a one, flip your dark pack condition. This would be really bad luck. Oh my god. <laughs> this is an unfortunate sequence of events. Oh. One of the thousand. The chanting reaches a fever pitch. No. The cult leader places a ritual dagger in your hand and tells no, you, no. the time has come. You must pay the blood no, for the no, chosen no. goat. Another investigator of no. your choice is devoured. Well, it's not going to be freaking Diana. Don't you dare touch my lovely lady. Please don't. You uh, can get killed. Uh, it's going to be Lily because... <laughs> Why? She just got the Necronomicon. Yeah, but... It's, it's gonna... Well, everyone else is just too good, are they? Just yeah. too good. Oh. Yeah. I've got more fighting strength than Lily when I need it. And I've got a bunch of rerolls. And She's got, got six. Yeah. And five. <laughs> For one time only. She was about to take down this bad guy. It's, it's going to be Lily. You're killing... Li yeah. But in a twist of events, Lola managed to lose everything. Um, searing pain suddenly runs down, uh, up and down your spine. You can barely lift your arms, let alone carry a lot of equipment. It is just too painful to carry them all. Discard all but one of your item possessions. Then discard this card. Are you kidding me? All but one of your item possessions. Serves you right. <laughs> so, let me get this straight. We would have been better having Lily because her yeah. strength was from within. Yeah. Funny. That's funny. I'm going to keep my fine clothes because that means buying new things easier. Can you put those in the discard pile? Yes, I'd love to. Okay, cool. So we're down an investigator and your one just became really crap. <laughs> Not really crap, just Fairly less crap. good than she was. She's still better than when she started. But not better than Lily, let's put it that way. Um, you're devoured. Have you got any conditions? Yeah, oh, thank you for pointing that <laughs> out. I knew. At this point in the game, tensions were high. When it came to rolling for my dart pact, I nearly destroyed the table. I feel sick. I actually feel a little Still bit one. sick. Stop telling- oh my god, don't. <laughs> okay, we're fine, we're fine. Okay. Blessed. Roll one down, a one or two, discard a card. I don't, bet I roll it. Don't roll a one. Especially <laughs> 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 you roll them, not just like <laughs> throw it up and drop it down. However, whatever floats your boat. A massive like meteor just comes into the friggin' South China Sea, it's fine. I was also still struggling to let Lily go. You got rid of Lily. I'd only just made her good. She was still the weakest of the four. Well, the weakest of the three that were remaining. Wow. Well, she was at the time. 
well, she was at full health. She had six strength without items. Don't blame me, babe. Blame Jim Cole. Items come and go, but the characters... <laughs> I do blame Jim, absolutely. Oh, he'll write a song about it. As Lily's replacement, as Lily's replacement, we bring out Trish the spy. Shortly afterwards, the dream team of Jim and Lola do the sterling job of finally, gloriously solving the first mystery. But it didn't escape our notice that we were already halfway through the Mythos deck. Run out of Mythos cards and it's game over. So we moved on to our second mystery with haste, Blasphemy of the Black Goat, where the Yeb Epic Monster has spawned on Space 19. We needed to defeat him to solve the mystery, but he was not alone. He was flanked by grim and ghoulish critters. A perfect moment for Diana the ex-cultist, magical marvel and chief monster fighting extraordinaire to step in. Unfortunately for us, a nasty mythos card forced Diana to lose almost all of her spells or face a grim death. Perhaps it would have been better had she died. A turn later, her dark pact was revealed leaving everyone else either cursed or engaged in a dark pact like a particularly savage game of tag. Then a particularly nasty monster reckoning effect almost entirely obliterated Jim's health. Things went from bad to worse. The focus returned, clouding your mind and memories. You massage your temples, waiting for the headache to pass. You suddenly realise blood is dripping from your ears and eyes. Your vision goes black as you collapse. Lose three health. Then discard this card. Well, at least you don't have to do your dark pack. He did. He died. There goes Jim. He fought well. He did some stuff. He he did things. He got an expedition map. Then Diana got lost in space and time. At this point, I think we finally realised that winning was almost entirely impossible. Um, as you sleep, you're drawn into the realm of dreams by the monkey, monkey king. Yes. He tells you that a fish demon is trapped cool. in there. You must focus to return to your body. Make a will and minus one check. Oh. Oh no, if I get lost in space and time now. No. <laughs> Getting the lost in space and time condition. Fuck off. Oh, but at least when I come back from that, I can go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> what a good thing about space and time. But once again, we gained a new character. Soldier Mark Harrigan, who, praise be, knocked the last bit of health off of epic monster Yeb and sold our second mystery. Our third and final mystery was bestowed upon us, the Hour of the Moon Lens. We needed to get to London, where as an encounter, an investigator on London may watch a ritual that transforms the worshippers of Shubnigarath into Goatspawn. The Goatspawn would ambush him, or her, and if the goat spawn is defeated, an investigator may spend two clues to place an Eldritch token on the mystery. Two Eldritch tokens would solve the mystery. Now you've probably noticed that's quite a lot of stuff. We only had three Mythos cards remaining. Three rounds left to save the world. But in the end, that was not how Eldritch Horror defeated us. Monsters kill Lola and Trish in quick succession. And in the ensuing chaos, the doom track hit zero and the Ancient One himself finally stirred from his slumber, spawning in the heart of Africa with his cronies. It was left to Mark and Diana to save the world, against impossible odds. Complete the final mystery and defeat Shubnagrath, all in the space of one final round. Yeah, we didn't do it. 
Chibnagrath the Jamigit overran the world with evil hell monsters. And that was it. End of days. End of our day too. It was a long game. Four hours of freefall into an abyss of failure. But my god was it fun. Now for a section called, we're not arguing, we're just discussing. This month we've posed the question, board gaming, an expensive or affordable hobby? Yeah, yes, so, <laughs> I mean, we, we like games, we'd like to buy loads of games. What I think has provoked this is on a couple of Facebook groups, and just the amount of people seem to spend on this board it's game collection hobby, it's ridiculous. I mean, they're so expensive, these big box games. And these Kickstarter games that come with six expansions when you order them are like $400. Yes, yeah, there's some astronomically priced games out there. Gloomhaven's a game that I'm quite interested in playing, as is Twilight Imperium. Both of them are well over the £100, well, over the £100 mark, aren't they? It's just not, unfortunately, it's just not affordable. Even things like Great Western Trail, they're like sort of 40, 50 quid. Do you think that's good value for money? I think it it is. I think that's the sort of value range you want to look at for Mm. like a AAA title. Comparing it for value for money is the most obvious comparison is probably looking at a video game and how much hours of fun you get out of a video game compared to like a board game. And video games are that 40 to 60 quid, right? And some of them are quite disposable. Some of them you'll play for like a year or two, maybe. Um, Great Western Trail, I think, will be playing for a couple of years. Absolutely. For that much money. Hours times-wise is probably more than a video game. Yeah, I think a game like that is great value for money because it's got so much replayability. And I think that's the main problem that some people foresee in legacy games like Pandemic Legacy. People go, well, it's a lot of money. I'm only playing it once. Is it worth it? And... I think it depends on the sort of legacy game because I think, yes, Pandemic Season 1 absolutely, absolutely was worth it for me. You know, I mean, what was it? Was it about 60 quid, 70 quid when yeah, we bought it? I can't it was, remember. Yeah, we got probably 16, 20 games out of 20 it. 20 games out of it, yeah. And and they were good. There were really lots of twists and turns and stuff. Yeah. And it's not entirely impossible to kind of turn it back to the vanilla Pandemic. No, I have had a look at that. Though. It is possible. Mm-hmm. You know, or you can sort of keep it for the for the memories can't you yeah. and, and that's but, where legacy games get really exciting it kind of used to be you'd buy a game and then you'd play it and then you'd probably end up getting bored of it and then you'd, yeah. that's when you're probably done with it and then you go right how many plays did i have of this before i got bored of it and it's replaced by another game these legacy games are coming where really the value for money is the experience as a whole because there's a beginning a middle and an end and then you value it right there right was that a fun ride was your story great did those experiences really worth it which is really exciting i think but yeah, on the topic of replayability, you've also got games like Time Stories, which I also think that's an even more kind of debated topic as to whether that's good value for money. Like, I know we, well, we'll have a review up soon about our experiences of the, first of, one, yeah. uh, the Time Stories base game with the uh, Asylum story within it, and we'll uh, have our thoughts on that another time. But I think, again, a lot of the people's issues with that is, again, quite an expensive game. It's in the 30 to £40 pound region, isn't it? But you really can only play that the once, and that is only, what, probably about four hours the base Maybe game, five you, hours the game. Base you could so stretch bits, it. There's bits on the board you don't use until you buy more game for it. Yeah, but I, but I like that. In fairness to that, I do like that. I like the whole... Your your base game is basically your portal, isn't it? The yeah. idea being it is the base for the time agents to pop through to various different ages and stories or whatever. I like that. And then, obviously, you've got your expansions. But then again, they're like, well, about £15, aren't they? Ish. Probably more. Probably I 20 more, yeah. actually. I just don't know if... A game like that, the value for money is as good as some of these other legacy kind of games. Once you once you've done a story in Time Stories, that is it. 
unless you've got several friends that are willing to chip in I'm not sure if that sort of game's good no. value for money I yeah, don't know no. I've mixed feelings about that yeah. sort of game circling back to the halls and stuff you could spend an awful lot of money couldn't you because I figured even the other day I was like oh wouldn't it be nice to buy like a new game each month but you figured that would actually really add up by the end of the year Absolutely, wouldn't it yeah. and so you're going to have to restrain yourself a bit because I watch, I watch and listen to a lot of different podcasts and uh, YouTube channels and I'm like, oh, I'd love that one, I'd love that one and then I write it down and I'm like, oh, okay, hang on. <laughs> Let's sort of think for a second because, you know, we have to, like, you know, eat and... <laughs> it's, well, it's great to have a place like, like Coffee and Dice near us. Coffee yes. and Dice being the board game cafe in Boscombe. We're members there, so it costs us, what, three pounds? Three pounds yeah, to go five. there for as long as we want mm-hmm. and play any games that they've got there. I think it's just so great that you've got places like that popping up all over the place yep. now. But you certainly see them pop up a lot more over here now as it's kind of becoming a more, you know, more well, popular it, hobby. It's moved from like gaming clubs in people's yeah. houses to gaming clubs in other venues that they can hire out to now the industry and the people playing games are so much more that they've actually got their Absolutely. own buildings now and can do yeah. really cool things and yeah, food and, and it's drink just, and stuff. Yeah, like it's so great to see places like, because Coffee and Dice are great because they've, um, they've got games for like families, which is obviously a big customer base for them and then you got us setting and up then, Arkham Hall yeah. in the corner well, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say then you get the gamers like us who yeah will sit down and play like <laughs> four hour long game because yeah, yeah. The, the benefit of somewhere like Coffee and Dice is that you you pay like three pound or whatever per person which to some people yeah might actually seem like a lot if you're taking a big family that is you know four pound or whatever oh, yeah. per person sort of adds up but then you compare it to something like the cinema yeah, you spend more at the cinema, so don't you? Yeah. It's better. I think it's better value. Yeah, then you get kind of the serious, more serious games, and they do events like in the evening, so you can play with other people and try different games. And also, I suppose with board game cafes as well, you've got the added benefit of usually the staff are trained up to know the rules and yep. the setup. Like some of the game events we've been to, the games are already set up for mm-hmm. you, which is you know brilliant yep. for some of the more fiddly <laughs> games yeah. and you know they they can run you through the rules which is great i think it's great to see those sort of popping up because it is a way certainly for us to play new games yeah. without spending a fortune spending on it to just realize yeah. oh actually i don't really like that yeah that's great absolutely that's that's the best way someone should be able to do it as an like affordable hobby yeah, exactly get into they've the, got hobby. the budget to be able to buy absolutely games. And so that about wraps up for this month mm-hmm. this month's podcast I guess we've just started on the website there's going to be plenty of content coming up the next month and I guess what we might be chatting on the website on the podcast next month is City of Games we're going to yes in Bristol in a couple of weeks mm-hmm. which is a Kickstarter backed gaming convention over Friday Saturday and Sunday three great days of gaming we've got there can't wait which we're also playing a mega game you've got to add on the Saturday who knows what the mega game is going to be yet we don't there will definitely be a couple of posts and podcasts after that yes I think so I think we're going to have a lot of a lot to discuss after that aren't we I'm also going to be chatting more about X-Wing Yes, Jamie's kind of got into. Oh, I've been invited X-Wing. to X-Wing evenings. And I've been to two, and it's great. And I've just got a starter set, and I'm going to buy more, and I'm going to get you into it. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> See, well, it's something I've been kind of thinking about more for the year ahead for me is something I really want to get into is RPG games. So yes. who knows? Maybe in the coming month I might sort of poking around in that a little bit more. See what's what's available. Certainly, I'd be interested to know as well what. RPGs can you play with two players because that is often how we play a lot of the time two players and it would be good to know so if you do know you know get in touch we've got an email we do do have email (laughs) which is a competitive couple at gmail.com we also have a twitter we have a twitter we do yeah did you know no (laughs) nice 
So yeah, it's at competitive duo, and we also have an Instagram account. I'm so glad you're doing all the social media. <laughs> I know, I love this kind of stuff. Jamie hates it, so <laughs> I'm in charge of that. So joy of joys, um, and that is uh, the handle for that is a competitive couple if you want to go over and uh, follow that as well and if you've got any paper and pen and mail you want to send this <laughs> PO box no no we don't have no, one no. but yeah I think that just about rounds it out that's the it? first podcast of the website of a competitive couple that is it that's is it. we're done Woo! so we'll see you next month yeah see you next month the music in this podcast is all courtesy of Kevin McLeod at incomtech.com licensed under creative commons Tracks used in this episode were Obliteration, Night of Chaos, Day of Chaos, and Evening of Chaos. It was Eldritch Horror, okay? There was a lot of chaos. <laughs>